Hello, this is Pastor Marty Macedo from Fellow Helpers Ministries, bringing you another podcast from the Pastor Study, Biblical Lessons in the Battlefield of Life from a retired pastor of 45 years who was saved after serving as a Staff Sergeant Airborne Ranger in Vietnam. My testimony is shared in podcast number one. It is my desire to share with you lessons the Lord has taught me over my years of living as a Christian and serving as a pastor. These podcasts are intended to whet your appetite for further personal Bible study. They'll be short, 20 to 30 minutes, and having your Bible and something to jot down notes might be helpful. If you have any questions, you can contact me by email, masito, F-H-M, for Fellow Helpers Ministries, at gmail.com, M-A-S-I-T-T-O, F-H-M, at gmail.com. The title of our Bible study today is Being a Good Soldier, Lessons I Learned While Serving in the Army from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And this is actually part two. We did part one last week. In this podcast, we'll apply the lessons we learned in part one and answer the question, what does it mean to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ in a local church? And I want to begin by just taking a couple of moments here to review And first of all, we're going to read that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's in verses 1 through 4, but specifically verses 3 and 4 talk about the good soldier. Here's what we read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, as we listen to these words from your scriptures and listen to the comments that we're going to be sharing, we just pray that thou would mix it all together for good and see your will accomplished in each of our lives. Meet a need for us today. Encourage our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and specifically verses 3 and 4 last week, we learned three things about a good soldier. He endures hardness. He does not quit when the going gets tough. He does not entangle himself with the affairs of this world. He keeps focused on the mission. And thirdly, he takes uh, he pleases him who has called him to be a soldier. He considers his commander-in-chief and his wishes above his own wishes. So, he endures hardness. He entangleth himself not in the affairs of this life, And he also seeks to please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. And we looked at three passages of scripture and saw three principles. The first one was this. Ephesians 5, a good soldier understands and accepts the chain of command and responds positively to its demands. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, a good soldier understands the importance of keeping his equipment properly maintained and ready to use at all times. And then thirdly, we looked at Galatians chapter 5, a good soldier understands and identifies the real enemy and fights with others instead of against others, in with, excuse me, fights with others instead of against others in withstanding the enemy. Now, if I may, just in the introduction, make just a quick, simple application to what we're looking at regarding the local church, I would say this, a good soldier who is enduring hardness not entangling himself with the affairs of this life, who is pleasing the one who's called him to be a soldier, is number one, he understands and accepts the chain of command and responds positively to its demands. 
We could have had a whole lesson on this because there is a chain of command in the church. As we know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church, but he gives us shepherds, pastors, or bishops to be able to lead and guide us, and also deacons to help them in that ministry as well as others who serve. So in a church, there is a chain of command, and we need to be praying for that chain of command and asking God to lead and guide those different leaders so that we'll go in the right direction and not err. The second thing, a good soldier understands the importance of keeping his equipment properly maintained and ready to use at all times. There are two things in regard to the equipment of a ministry. Number one is the word of God, and number two is prayer. And it's very important that the pastor pay special attention to the word of God and the preaching and teaching of the word of God to equip the servant saints for the work of the ministry. That is ever so important. If the word of God is not the center of that ministry, then it's not going to have the right equipment to be able to withstand in the day it's in. That needs to be also maintained, meaning that those of us who hear these ministers minister the word of God, we must daily be maintaining ourselves with the word of God and also praying. And when we have the word of God in prayer in our pulpits, as well as in our people, then we'll be ready at all times for what the adversary has, uh, has for us. And then the third thing is, a good soldier understands and identifies the real enemy and fights with others with others instead of against others in withstanding the enemy. And this is one of my main points that I want to apply to our podcast today. Oftentimes, churches are fighting, but they're fighting themselves. They have an issue that they have to deal with. And instead of looking at the enemy who's brought that issue to the church, they're looking at others in the church and considering them as the enemy. You remember last week in our podcast, we talked about the two rangers that were fighting in the rear, but then the two rangers that were standing and sitting in the field back to back, locked and loaded to be able to fight the enemy should they attack. Uh, there's, a, there's a different spirit there when we're attacking each other. We're not really solving the problem, are we? or when we recognize there's an enemy that we need to be unified in seeking to withstand. I don't know how many deacons meetings I've been in. I don't know how many church meetings I've been in where I have seen the people start to rise up and fight each other or be upset with each other or start blaming each other for a situation, forgetting that the real enemy is the adversary who is seeking to destroy our ministries. So, in a way of review from the lesson of last week, I just want us to see this in the context of the local church. We need to be good soldiers in the local church. We need to understand and accept the chain of command. We need to understand the importance of keeping their equipment properly maintained and ready to use at all times, the word of God and prayer. And we need to understand who the real enemy is and fight with other brethren against the enemy rather than fight against each other. And we're going to see that now illustrated in a passage of scripture that I think brings these points out beautifully. It's an Old Testament passage of scripture. So I'll ask you to take your Bibles, if you have them handy, and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. A very interesting passage of scripture illustrating what we've just gone over in the way of review and in the way of introduction. And what we see in Exodus chapter 17 in these uh, 16 verses is very interesting to me because if we can make the application, 
In the Old Testament, we have Moses leading the congregation of Israel. In the New Testament, we have pastors leading a congregation of saints, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to make the application here. We're not saying that this is talking about the church in Exodus 17. It's obviously Moses and Israel, but the application can be made for the church today. And what we're looking at in these 16 verses is very interesting to me. You have the same leader, Moses, if we can say in New Testament terms, we have the same pastor. And we have the same people, Israel, in Exodus chapter 17 and all 16 verses, and we see in the church the same people. And yet we find two different congregations here in the Old Testament, two different congregations, and each one of them has a name that God gives them to identify them. Well, let's look. Let's take a look at the first congregation, and that is in verses 1 through 7 of Exodus chapter 17. I'll read it, and then we'll make some comments about it. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt me the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Here's an illustration of what we looked at in our third point last week. A good soldier understands and identifies the real enemy and fights with others instead of against others in withstanding the enemy. The congregation of Israel had an enemy. They needed water. And instead of standing together and praying and seeking God to bring that water to them, they started fighting among themselves. They were blaming Moses for that, blaming Moses even for bringing them out of Egypt. And then Moses is reacting to this like, what, what have I done? I haven't done anything wrong. What, why are we in this mess? Well, the reason they're in this mess, I think, is for a number of reasons. And, and one of them is this, that the, the congregation had a real need. There was a need for water. You can't live without water. But they failed to look to God to meet that need and were looking to Moses, or if we can put it in New Testament terms, looking to their pastor to meet that need. And the pastor didn't have the resources to do that. He says that in our passage, doesn't he? Why chide ye, verse 2, with me? Wherefore do I tempt the wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people um, there, and the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against who? They murmured against Moses. They, they were looking at Moses as the enemy rather than looking at their need of water as the enemy and looking for Moses to solve that problem rather than looking to God to solve that problem. As I've looked at this passage a number of times, I've often thought, wouldn't it have been wonderful if they would have said, we need water, Moses. We need to have a prayer meeting and ask God to bring it to us. And they could have got on their knees and had a prayer meeting. The water would have come and there would have been praise and glory to God. But instead, this congregation was one that started fighting within themselves. This congregation chided their pastor, verse 2. This congregation asked their pastor to do what only God could do. 
this congregation murmured against their pastor, and then this congregation actually sought or thought to kill their pastor, and were actually starting to do it with words, let alone they haven't picked up weapons yet. Now, what happens? Well, we continue reading Exodus 17, verse 5, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take it in thy hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee uh, upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So Moses came up with an idea. He implemented the idea, striking the rock, and the water came forth. But listen carefully to verse 7. For this congregation had a testimony, and here it is. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Massa means temptation. Meribah means strife. And this congregation was a congregation full of temptation and strife, uh, looking at a problem but fighting each other for the answer rather than seeking God for the answer. Now, we move on in our passage. We're not changing any pages in our Bible. We're not switching any other chapters. Again, we're looking at the same people, Moses, the same congregation, the congregation of Israel. And now we read this in verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now the people of Israel could see their enemy. They acknowledged their enemy. They saw firsthand that their enemy was seeking to destroy them. And what did they do? Verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, verse 12. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses, verse 15, built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You'll notice now, when we pick it up in verse 8, where they can see the enemy, that Moses gives a solution that to me I find very interesting. In verses 1 through 4, they're arguing with Moses and about to kill him. Now Moses is saying, Joshua, choose out some men, go down there and fight. I'm going to sit up in the hill, hold up the rod, hold up my hands. And they said, okay. Now, it would have seemed like they would want Moses down in the battlefield. It would seem like they'd want him leading the charge. 
But when he gave this answer to this need, because they could see the enemy and recognize Moses is not our enemy, he's our leader, they went ahead and followed what he said, and they won a victory over the enemy, and they had a testimony. What was their testimony? Well, this church or congregation that was referred to as Massa Meribah, temptation and strife, now has the testimony, verse 15, of Jehovah Nisi. And Jehovah Nisi is the idea that the Lord will provide. Isn't that wonderful? The same people, the same pastor, the same church, the same Moses, the same Israel, and yet two different approaches. Because in the first one, they were not being good soldiers. They forgot some of the basic lessons of life as a soldier. What are they? Number one, a good soldier understands and accepts the chain of command and responds positively to his demands. Number two, a good soldier understands the importance of keeping his equipment properly maintained and ready to use at all times. Number three, a good soldier understands and identifies the real enemy and fights with others instead of against others in withstanding that enemy. You'll notice in our passage of scripture, both these, these same people, the same congregation, but two totally different attitudes and two totally different results and two totally different testimonies because in one section of verses, they were a good soldier and in the other section of verses, they were not. That is so important for us to remember as churches today. I mentioned this back in my introduction. Oftentimes in 45 years of pastoring, I've seen churches just come apart. I've seen churches in great turmoil. And you know, we joke about it sometimes, but I'm sure you've even seen it over the years. Sometimes you can walk in a church and you can see people on one side are for the pastor and people on the other side are against the pastor. Or sometimes both sides are split and none of them are for the pastor. And, and it's just a sad thing to see churches looking at each other as the enemy rather than churches working together to defeat the enemy or not allow the enemy to get a victory over them. Many churches have split and divided. Many churches are closed. Many churches are just very unhappy places to go. If you were to walk into it this Sunday, you'd say, this is not a happy place at all. And if you would trace the roots of this, you would probably find that the church was confronted with a need, like Israel, we need water, legitimate, but they began to fight with each other. Pastor, give it to us. I can't give it to you. You better. Why'd you bring us out here in the first place? And the next thing you know, they have a testimony of Massa Meribah. But when they see the enemy, we need this. God can provide it. God can give us the victory. The enemy wants to destroy us. They would love for us, if we can put it in the context of Exodus 17, to die of thirst. But God is going to provide for us. Let's work together as good soldiers and seek God to give the answer to our problems. You know, I think some of you may have heard a testimony that uh, my wife and I were able to share on uh, GFA's podcast for interim pastors and churches planting. And we talked about a church that we helped down in Florida. I, I won't necessarily give the name and all the details of it. But when we walked into that church in Florida, I'll be honest with you, 
the Saturday that we met with the leaders of that church, the pastor and the deacons, pastors, they were plural, we went back to our hotel that Saturday night and we said, you know what, I think this church is probably going to close. Their problems are monumental and they, <laughs> their spirit is, is really down and I don't know that they can make it. And then I went back Sunday morning because I was to preach. And when I went back Sunday morning and met the people and preached the word to the people, I recognized this church isn't ready to close. This church is just in an awkward spot and needs to refocus on the fact that each other is not the enemy. The previous pastor was not the enemy. The deacons are not the enemy. The staff is not the enemy. The enemy is the adversary who wants to destroy what God is trying to build. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a wonderful promise. But when we forget who the real enemy is and we forget the attack that the enemy has on us and we forget that we need to be working together with the right equipment, following the chain of command and getting victory, then we're going to find ourselves as a Massa Meribah rather than a Jehovah Nisi. Two types of congregation in this passage of scripture illustrating for us well what we've learned about the characteristics of a good soldier. Last week when we looked at those three characteristics from Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 and Galatians 5, we kind of applied it to the family, didn't we? Submitting yourselves one to another in fear of the Lord. And we saw, first of all, the wife submit. Secondly, the husband's love. Thirdly, the children obey. Then the servants also obey. And, uh, and we saw that outline. And that's kind of how we dealt with this, uh, this uh, lessons from my years in the army. But I, I couldn't stop there. It was too important. That's why we're doing part two today. To apply this also to the local church today and the need for the local church to be filled with good soldiers, filled with Christian people who know and love the Lord, filled with good soldiers who will endure hardness, don't quit when the going gets tough, who will not entangle themselves with their lives, but they'll keep their eye on the mission, and the mission is serving Jesus Christ, and will seek to please him rather than their self, for he is our commander-in-chief. And in doing so, we understand and accept the chain of command and respond positively to it. And we pastors take seriously the chain of command and make sure we're giving the right leadership to the church and feeding them the word of God and praying for them diligently and faithfully. And then the church also responds to that. We also find a good soldier understands the importance of keeping his equipment properly maintained and ready to use at all times, the word of God and prayer. And a good soldier understands and identifies the real enemy and fights with others instead of against others in withstanding that enemy. Well, this has been from the pastor study with Pastor Macedo, and I really have appreciated the opportunity to share this with you today. Uh, we've gone through it all quickly, and again, like I say, sometimes you need to just maybe listen to it again in a quiet spot and pause it along the way and take a few notes, read the scriptures that we're reading rather quickly, actually, and let them be absorbed a little bit better. But, uh, but we have to remember these principles, uh, lessons I learned in serving in the military, but also lessons that I've learned in serving in the ministry. There's a very good parallel there. 
And I hope that with last week's podcast and this week's podcast, we've been able to help you understand that. You know, there's a passage of scripture in Hebrews. It's in chapter 13, verse 10, as well as verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, as well as verse 17. I can see we got a little bit of time, so I didn't want to read that to you. But it talks about in regard to the chain of command, Hebrews chapter 13, it says in verse um, not 7, Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow concerning the end of their conversation. What a responsibility for a pastor to live up to that verse. And what a responsibility for people to follow pastors that are. In that same chapter, Hebrews 13, it says this in verse 17, talking about the chain of command. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Isn't that a great illustration of that chain of command when you think about a pastor and people working together in a church? And then if you have someone with that heavy of a responsibility upon them, I think that we have to remember we must pray diligently for them. If we want in the church leadership that we can follow and have joy in following, we need to remember what Paul, what a godly man he was, and yet he requests this in 2 Thessalonians 3. Here's Paul. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God, the word of the Lord, may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered, here's the enemy, from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. As I've looked at that verse over the years, I thought when Paul was praying, he said unreasonable. I think unreasonable could be the other brothers and sisters in Christ. They're, they're just unreasonable, just hard to work with. But then you've got also the wicked men. Those are the unsaved who are seeking to oppose the work of the Lord. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I guess I'm getting some kind of echo and I have no idea why, but we're at the end, so that should be fine. But this has been from the Pastor Study with Pastor Martin Macedo. You may email me at macedofhm at gmail.com. And Lord willing, we'll post another Bible study next week. But until then, remember this. We as good soldiers of Jesus Christ serve together in the local church. What is our testimony to the community in which we serve? Massa Meribah or Jehovah Nisi? It depends on who we see as the enemy. May you have a great day.